Hello and welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart, your producer and co-host. I am flying solo today. Hey, we're getting into the holiday spirit with He Rules the World. It's a new contemporary live concert and video experience that upends the traditional nativity story. It's starring the Broadway vocalist from The Phantom of the Opera. Our interview today, though, focuses on how Peter Emerson, the man behind the rock music, he's also the composer and the one who put a new spin on a very old script. It's kind of lighthearted how she first reacts to it. She's like, why me? I'm just a girl from Galilee, you know? She's like, and what am I going to tell Joseph? And then I launch into, um, you know, this little angel chorus coming in and saying, here's what you're going to tell Joseph. And we haven't even talked about the style of the music yet, but this is all really kind of progressive rock and roll and I like uh, it. R&B. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's very, very contemporary. And later in our show, totally shifting gears here, we're going to talk with our first international director, writer, actor, Canadian Gwynlyn Cummin from Homeschooled. This is the smash hit that young Canadians just can't get enough of. What's super interesting about this new comedy spoof is the show is streamed in 15-minute episodes. So you can binge a season in about, let's see, I think it took me three hours, give or take. It's whip smart, clever. It's a coming-of-age show that's also very, very funny. It's only on a, it's on our Canadian public broadcaster up here, um, and we are in in talks and pitches to uh, to find an American and a global broadcaster. So hopefully, I don't know, it might be on Netflix. I can't really talk about it, but you know. <laughs> All that coming up on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Please stay with us on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Welcome back to the San Diego Screenwriters Studio. I'm Gail Stewart, your producer and host today. We are interviewing Peter Emerson, the man behind the script and music of He Rules the World. It's a contemporary live concert experience on the circuit now. It's about one of the oldest stories, the nativity. So let's think about this for a minute as a screenwriter. If you were adapting the biblical version of the nativity, the story has been told over and over, but what does the character's arc look like in today's world? What would Mary say when she learns she's pregnant and the baby daddy is not her husband, right? So it would be a little awkward. Peter Emerson deals with that by having the angels come in and explain to her that this is actually a good thing. Which is Mary explaining that, hey, I'm a highly favored person and I've been chosen by God and I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do this and I'm coming to terms with this and it's powerful. Wow. It's very powerful. And, and Joseph, how does Joseph, when you were writing how Joseph would react to all of this, does he just accept well, it? You know, yeah. As a father myself, you know, how would I feel if, if I found out that my wife was pregnant and it wasn't me? You know, and so, you know, Joseph had had a hard time dealing with this because she knew that Mary was trustworthy. She knew that she was an honest person, but the circumstances said otherwise. 
And so he went to sleep and he was visited in a dream. And in the dream, the angel tells him, no, 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 this is, this is true. This is God's plan. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to follow through this. So his story arc in his song is starting out in a fitful, uh, restless sleep. And then, and then transitioning to the end where he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to support Mary and I'm going to follow through with this and I'm going to raise this child as my own. And it's really just a, you know, that one gets me. <laughs> that one really, really gets me. I like to see a transition right. in people. And when I write the music, arc. I, I, the yeah, arc. exactly. I think of the story arc uh, when I'm writing a song and I've always thought of it. I'm a very visual person, which is why a lot of this works for me as well mm-hmm. um, and lends it lends itself to uh, cinematography and and all of that and so and Emerson says even the innkeeper who turned away Mary and Joseph well he goes through a change as well he has to but in it it launches into this exploration of what the innkeeper felt when he had to turn them away and put them out in the stable oh my you know, interesting so, yeah what did he feel but, uh, Peter uh, well from my experience uh, from from my perspective and from my writing, my angle on on what he felt was that he wasn't quite sure when he when he had to turn them out, and he still had questions. And he's like, "What what did I just do?" And and when he did get to see the um, the birth of the child, and he did get to see all of the shepherds and the people coming and and gawking and all of that, that he he realized, you know, that he, uh, that he had just witnessed something very, very special. And if you think about it historically, um, the, 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 the Jewish people were expecting something to happen yes. and they'd been expecting it for a long time. Right. Um, but he kind of came to the realization in the moment that he was like, Hey, I think I just saw the big thing that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> and, and it, it turns into this life changing uh, moment of, of just, um, you know, faith for him. Wow. We are speaking with Peter Emerson, musician, composer, instructor, and the person who adapted a new production that is getting a lot of attention. It's called He Rules the World. To us, a son is given. The new story about one of the oldest stories, the nativity, and while the story itself is powerful, this production is a hybrid. It's not a movie, but has animation. It's not a play, but has actors and a narrator. Peter says the closest format is opera, and all the music, traditional Christmas carols, they've been rearranged and updated with a completely new version by none other than Peter Emerson. play it's not acted out um although the singers are singing from the perspective of the characters in the moment from song to song they may be singing from the perspective of somebody else 
there's no costumes, there's no costume changes or anything like that. Uh, and the way that we set that up is that in between the songs, we have the narration that actually says, this is, this is what the Bible says. This is what, where, where this is coming from. Interesting. And, um, and it's narrated and it's also animated. And so we, uh, with hired the big an screen? animation yeah. studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have, uh, on stage with us, we had a, a 21 foot by 10 foot, uh, LED wall. Right. Um, and that LED wall in between songs is, is playing this animation that was created for us, um, by, uh, Adam Harding Willis in a studio out, uh, in called Wonder Studio. And they're just outside of London. Mm hmm. And, um, and he did a fantastic job of, of this, this, it's really very simple 2D animation, but it, but it really supports, um, I really like to think of this as being like the, an opera in a way where you have, where you have recitative and you have aria, the recitative in an opera, in an opera moves the story forward and the aria the song that the uh, that the hero sings really delves into the emotion that the character is feeling and that's a traditional you know opera trope and so the the recitative for us are the are the animation videos that range in length from about um 10 15 seconds on the short end to about 2 minutes on the on the longer end um, depending on which segment we're, we're watching. And they really set up the emotion of what is going to be per- portrayed in the song that comes afterwards, where Mary is like, hey, why me? You know, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm using these familiar, uh, familiar Christmas uh, melodies to launch into new material. And so um, in in all of the things that I teach with music and music production and, uh, and such, I'm always talking about familiarity. And if you have something that your audience can latch onto, it gives you an instant connection, you know? And so the, you, so if someone comes off the street and sees our show, there's going to be a lot of familiarity in what we're doing and they'll be able to hum along with parts of it. Not all of it, but they'll be able to, but enough so that, you know, it'll, it'll come in and out of it and they'll be like, oh, I got it. I got it. Right. I I know this. Yes, I know this. So when you, when you decided to write this, Peter, Mm -hmm. what, you know, you're taking on a huge project. Okay. I'm going to tell a story and an updated story about the nativity trials and tribulations of Joseph and Mary. Um, where, you know, do you, did you plot it out? Did you, you know, do a treatment? I mean, how did you even start on this one? Basically getting down to the nitty gritty of simply writing it out. Oh, I tell you, um, I, I'm going to have a hard time answering that question because I just was so overwhelmed with this desire to do this that I, I wrote most of this uh, except for one sequence uh, in 2019. And then, of course, the pandemic hits right after that. And, oh, and, wow. And finished. So I've been sitting on this for, for um, a few years now. Uh, and I wrote most of it in 2019. And I just basically started 
um, thinking, well, I'm going to go to the source. What's in the story? What's in the story? And then uh, what was really fascinating for me is really doing the research into the, into the Christmas carols themselves. So if you look at the Christmas carols, each one of the Christmas carols tells a fragment of the story already. Oh, interesting. I'll have, next time I hear a Christmas carol, I'll have to think about it. And well, it's, it's, and I had never thought of it that way either. And, you know, if you go to church on Christmas Eve and you hear Christmas carols, yeah. you're going to hear maybe three or four Christmas carols, maybe, maybe a, a four or five. Who knows? Yeah. But it's not in music terms. It's not going to tell you the whole story. No. And it's, and it's, and it's also not first person. It's all, it's all, you know, third person. So, so the idea came to me, well, why don't I use some of these melodies and take, uh, take these historic songs, uh, like the Coventry Carol, for instance, is a song about the slaughter of the innocent. It's about Herod going to Bethlehem and actually killing the newborns through two-year-olds uh, in the city of Bethlehem because yes. he thought that there was going to be a rival to his throne. And I mean that's fascinating. So this this hymn, the Coventry Carol, um, is about that, but it's not. But it's it's not from his perspective. You know, it's it's from a completely different perspective. Um, and so I took a little bit of that melody and then reworked that and and let that uh, morph into a new um, a new piece that still has a little bit of that original melodic flavor in it enough. So that if you know that Carol, that you're going to hear a little bit of it in it and there'll be enough familiarity in it. But then it's all first person Herod just saying, Hey, um, this guy is going to be a rival to my throne and I need to do something about it. And then, you know, it's just telling that portion of the story and using that particular song that historically was about that event anyway to do so. So, so that way I was, I really, all I had to do was go in and just do a little bit more research on the, on the Christmas carols and the hymns uh, that are based around Christmas uh, to be able to give me a sense of what I needed to, to focus on. And then it just, uh, you know, I was just so into it. It just flowed. And, <laughs> and, and so as far as treatments and, and things like that, um, you know, that's not, that's not, not necessarily my world because I am, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician, musician composer, and a, educator, and composer yes, for, educator, and, and all of that. <laughs> you know, and I've worked, I've worked a lot in musical theater and in live stage and 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 things like that. Right. But uh, when when I showed this project to other folks, um, they immediately got excited about the possibility of this turning into a uh, into uh, something that we would film, and then and then be able to to use that uh, for for various different things. So, uh, if not just to to get the the word out that the show exists, right? So, you know, in Hollywood, they always say write what you know, and so what you actually did is you did you went to the music source because that's what you do. That's what you know. That is your. That's your element, right? So you took, <laughs> I, I find it, I find it humorous that you went to these, these standard Christmas carols that we sing every single year and you really delved into them and kind of explored them and basically mined them for, you know, this special flavor for this production that you came up with. Really impressive, Peter. 
Yeah, and there's, there's, uh, I think, and I, I, I need to really sit down and do a count on it, but I think I quote from at least twenty-five to thirty different hymns, if not, if not more. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, and the beauty for me, uh, for all of that, is that all of those hymns um, are um, the. The youngest one was written in the 1800s, and oh, so they all goodness. live in public domain. Oh, wonderful! So, that was good. So that's yeah, absolutely. So that would have been a, a hurdle that I wouldn't have been able to cross. Right now, so I want to know, and I talked with Jennifer a little bit, and Jennifer mm-hmm. told me, told me that perhaps, maybe, that you might be turning this into a movie, like a feature. It, you know, the the possibility of this turning into lots of different things are out there. And now that we have done a stage production of this, which is more of a concert reading that we filmed uh, with, I mean, we had 10 cameras in the shoot for this and, and I can't wait for the, I can't wait to see the, uh, the edit. And you had some really big time uh, people, the, uh, the vocalist from the Phantom of the Opera from Broadway, right? David David Gashin. Mm-hmm. Uh, signed on with us. Uh, Narrator also Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo is also an executive producer on the project. Yeah. So uh, so he has uh, he has uh, signed on to help us take the project to the next step as well. Right. And so there's a possibility that uh, what we get this year, we may try to you know shop that for streaming, um, maybe Netflix, Amazon, Pure Flix. Um, Apple, uh, yeah. Apple, <laughs> right? Uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, and the idea is that uh, we will still continue to develop this as a live performance, uh, in addition to the, the the filming aspect of it. And the, the beauty of this is that yes, this is expandable. And if uh, if the right uh, investment came along and the and the right uh, circumstance came along, this could turn into it could turn into a full on musical that was that would be something that uh, on Broadway, that Peter on Broadway and, and all of that. We just don't know, right? Unbelievable, unbelievable. Listen, Peter Emerson, thank you so much for joining us on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We are really, really lucky to have uh, had you this morning, and we appreciate you spending so much time with us. It's my honor to do so. And good luck. I want to see the movie. (laughs) I would like you to see the movie. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Addressing you from the Canadian Chess Championship, where my peer and colleague Verzana Hawk has just vanquished Grandmaster Vladimir Semenov Popovsky. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We are so excited to interview our first international, well, Canadian director and writer, Gwendolyn Cummins, on our show today. I had been homeschooled um, for a time, um, sort of in the middle school ages, and uh, and Knox had met some of the people that I'd been homeschooled with and thought, wow, they are very interesting people and your experiences sound very different and interesting. And this would be a really fun, you know, beginning for, for a show idea. And so we, we took it from there. Mm-hmm. Here and everywhere is our classroom. This is Homeschool! 
Gwendolyn and Karen Knox are the creators of the Canadian smash hit Homeschooled, a young adult comedy spoof about, well, being homeschooled. ...on home education and disprove the inaccurate myths surrounding our style of learning. Homeschooling is, in many ways, superior to all other educational methods. Mozart, Bach, Stravinsky. Created by award-winning writers, producers, and performers, Knox and Cummins follow the talkative and adorable Frizana as she and her best friend, the intense perfectionist Greta, work on a revolutionary documentary that enlightens the public on the largely quote-unquote misunderstood topic of homeschooling. We definitely had a specific vision for this project, obviously like quite inspired by Wes Anderson, but also um, projects like um, like Napoleon Dynamite, mm-hmm. um, kind of symmetrical. Um, but we're also constrained by time and resources. Um, so it's kind of a combination of all of those elements brought us to uh, the style of, of this show in particular. So Remember, each episode of Homeschooled is only 15 minutes long. So the shots, the sets, the locations, everything had to be exact. While we were kind of limited in the number of shots that we could get, we really had to be specific about those shots looking beautiful. Uh, and I, I think we achieved that. I mean, we have very hardworking, extremely talented production designer, Nicole Simmons, um, who made the most out of every inch of frame, um, which is great. And that I also, you know, choosing our location specifically um, in the hopes that they were pretty good looking already uh, really helped with time and, and just the overall look. Not only does Gwendolyn Cummins and Karen Knox direct Homeschooled, they also co-wrote most of it. The wit is clever, cutting, and it's funny. But as we have learned here at the Screenwriter's Studio, it takes help. And they relied on their trusted writer friends to help punch up the script. Yeah, we got notes from, from everybody on everything. And then uh, we we did have one writer, Marushka Almeida. She wrote episode five and episode seven, I believe. Um, and then and then we would give notes on that one. Uh, but the rest of the episodes, yes, Knox and I wrote together and then bounced off of all our trusted readers for, for notes and thoughts. What's surprising about Gwendolyn is that her path in the industry confirms that while film school is critical for many, for her, acting was just the beginning. After theater school, the first five years out, I was working as an actor on indie projects and just started getting the feeling that, you know, I could do this. I think I get it. And uh, and I'd never really had an opportunity before to um, to showcase my own creativity. Um, as an actor, you're really a, a cog in in a beautiful machine, but <laughs> it can feel that way. You're just a small part of a much bigger project uh, and you have very little power over um, how things turn out in the end, um, which can be really fun to, to not have too much responsibility overall. But um, yeah, I got really interested in, in what it would be like to, to work on something from a, a conceptual stage to a premiere or whatever. Uh, so uh, my co-creator Knox, she had gone off to do her master's in 
London. And that's when we got the idea for our first show, Barbell, uh, which is not about a bar, coincidentally. It's about a couple of pop stars who, uh, who used to date each other and then are forced by their contract to continue to pretend they're in love and also make another album together. <laughs> um, so that was our, our first uh, digital series that we, we wrote and produced and acted in together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then, yeah, the, the ball really started rolling and uh we haven't stopped and homeschooled is now our our third um series property that we've worked on it's our fifth season of a show that we've uh produced um and yes there's no end in sight i don't think homeschooled has been called art house comedy a mockumentary whatever you call it it's great. Unfortunately, the word in and of itself brings up controversy. Public school versus homeschooled. Forget about it. Gwendolyn, who was homeschooled, says for her, the young kid who was nerdy, being homeschooled was a wonderful experience. It's such a wild world. Um, I had a obviously a very particular homeschooling experience very similar to to what the characters in the show have which was overall extremely positive I was fairly unhappy not fairly I was very unhappy in in middle school and public school um, and just happened to be lucky enough to have a neighbor who was homeschooling her daughter who happened to be my best friend at the time still is my best friend um but so you know all of these the stars aligned for me to be able to to experience this kind of homeschooling um, that that for me was a way to to learn what I wanted to learn without having to keep pace with other kids who are interested in different things. Um, and I could be myself, whereas, you know, being a 13 year old is a is a difficult time around other kids sometimes. Uh, and it's a it's a very self conscious time, but I was able to with with my best friend just be purely ourselves. Um, and I know that it's homeschooling is not the same for everyone. Some people really don't like it or forced into it. um, Or you know, are, are being taught they're being pulled out of school because their parents have very specific ideas about what the, what kinds of things they should be learning. Um, anyway, it just isn't always the best circumstance. So it's certainly not for everyone. Uh, it just happened to work really well for me. It really runs the gamut, I think, you know, in terms of financially who is able to, to be homeschooled because sometimes I've met someone at the Austin Film Festival um, who who was telling me about his homeschooling experience um, in Tallahassee, Florida, and he certainly did not come from money, um, but you know it was more of a commune situation. Right. Uh, so it's kind of all over the place. But yeah, the pandemic has really shown uh, a flip side to that, where you can you can just hire someone and get the best education possible. That's a wrap for the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We'd like to thank Peter Emerson with He Rules the World. Be on the lookout for a possible movie version in 2023 of this incredible holiday concert performance. And to our international star, Gwendolyn Cummins, the director, writer, and actor with the Canadian smash hit Homeschooled. Keep up the great work. We can only hope this show is picked up by Netflix in the coming year. And finally, just a side note on a great 
program. The Old Man on HBO is fantastic. It stars Jeff Bridges. The use of the flashback in this series is seamless. Blink and you might miss it. Oh, and the action, big action in The Old Man. And the big news, I went to the Writers Guild Foundation Library in Hollywood. What a place. I've talked about it before. This week I finally went. It's sacred. No kidding. Read some scripts, Pulp Fiction. The action writing is unbelievable. Quentin Tarantino's tone jumps from the page. Also went through the pilot version of Baskets, which can be found on FX. This is the one written by Samuel D. Hunter. Unbelievable. The pilot is a case study. The beats, the introduction of characters, the funny action that sets up the jokes. When you read a great script, you understand why it all works. But you have to read scripts, people. And the Writers Guild Foundation Library is a great place to do it. But you must make an appointment. It's definitely worth it. Best part, it's free. That's it for the San Diego Screenwriter Studio Show today. Thank you for listening on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Oh, thank you.